Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, church. To all who are in the room, to those of you worshiping online, to all listening in on Way FM, we wanna welcome you. We also wanna give a shout out to all the students and children in the room today. We are so glad you are here. And uh, thank you for those who participated in being a part of our worship service today. Uh, today we're kicking off our September sermon series and it's called High Wire. The tagline is Daring to Trust. And uh, this is a unique sermon idea for us because what we're doing is we are adopting Adopting our children's curriculum for the month as the theme for our adult messages. And this is something we'll do a couple of times a year so that all of us in our church, from our students to our senior adults, will be studying the same thing at the same time. And so this particular series was originally authored by a ministry called Orange. And to get us started today, I want to ask a question. Have you ever had to wait on something big? Have you ever had to wait on something big? Just bring it to mind. What was it when you waited for something really big? My son, Jake, he is a major, massive, mammoth Carolina Panthers football fans. I mean, that is his team. I don't know. Like, we've never lived in the Carolinas, uh, but somehow he adopted them as his favorite. And when he was just starting to pay attention to football, the Panthers were one of the very best teams in the NFL, and their quarterback, Cam Newton, was the MVP of the entire league. And so I, I guess his fandom makes sense. And to this day, Cam Newton is Jake's all-time favorite football player. Unfortunately, by the time we moved to this part of the country where we could actually see a live game, Cam had been cut from the Panthers and he was out of football altogether until midseason last year. Midseason last year, the Panthers' starting quarterback, Sam Darnold, got injured and they needed to sign a new quarterback as a temporary stopgap until Darnold returned. Enter former MVP, Cam Newton. I mean, just as soon as this happened, Jake relentlessly started asking me to take him to see the Panthers take on the Dolphins in Miami so that he could, once and for all, see his favorite all-time player playing for his favorite team ever in person. Relentlessly, he began asking me. I don't know, Jake. Sounds kind of expensive. The game is two hours away. It's on a Sunday, so I, I might have to preach. But, buddy, I don't think it's going to be possible. But let me think about it. And for weeks, Jake begged and he pleaded for me to buy tickets. And what he didn't know until the night before the game was I had already bought the tickets. And I had already scheduled one of our other pastors to preach. And we were going to Miami. And so on Saturday night before the game, as Jake was getting ready for bed, thinking of church the next morning, getting out his clothes, I said, I said, hey, buddy, you might just set out your Panthers gear to wear tomorrow. And he absolutely lit 
up. What? We're going to the game? Are you serious? I'm going to see the Panthers in person. I'm going to see Cam Newton for real. And how long have you had the tickets? Weeks? Are you kidding me? Why didn't you tell me sooner? To be honest, it was kind of fun not to tell him. Just heightened the tension. Just deepened the longing. I kept putting him off. I kept saying, I don't know, maybe, let me think about it, when I knew all along we were going. On the other hand, I think it was kind of nice of me not to tell him. Because you know what happens when you've got something really big coming up and you can't wait, but it's weeks and weeks away and it, and it can't get here soon enough. You know what happens, right? Time slows down to a snail's pace, right? Waiting. Waiting is so hard. You ever been there? Maybe you're waiting on a big vacation that was months away. Perhaps you're waiting on a job promotion after years and years of hard work. Maybe you're waiting on a job opportunity after finishing your education. Perhaps you're waiting on more medical results after a troubling blood test. Maybe you're waiting to get engaged after a long dating relationship. Perhaps you longed for a baby after you were waiting for a healthy pregnancy. Every single one of us has had to wait for something. Kids, you might be waiting for the upcoming soccer league to start or waiting for your best friend's birthday party after school next weekend or waiting for the next edition of your favorite video game to drop. And so I have, a, I have another question for you to consider. By a show of hands, how many of you like waiting? I didn't think so. Waiting for big things in the future can leave us frustrated and annoyed in the present. Can I get an amen? amen. I've shared with you before how I am so hesitant to pray for patience. You know why? I don't like to wait. I like to make things happen. And for, for me, most things cannot happen quickly enough. But have you ever wondered what, what it would look like to patiently wait in a healthy way even when you're really excited? Or how about this? What does it look like to patiently wait when you're really struggling? When we are waiting, whether it's for something exciting, but especially when we're struggling, it can feel like we are up there, out there, on a high wire, all alone, perilously trying to move forward. And I wonder if as we get this sermon series started, if we just capture that feeling, the feeling of being up there, out there, the feeling of being all alone, the feeling of perilously trying to move forward. Can we capture that feeling for a moment when you, you just feel your, your adrenal glands surging and, and you get that tension in your stomach and you know when it feels good, it feels like butterflies in the belly. But when it feels bad, oh, it just feels like anxiety. I gotta tell you, I am terrified of heights. 
And I get that feeling anytime I'm on a ledge. It can be a roof, it can be a cliff. I've been on the ledge of the Grand Canyon, of the Great Rift Valley, on a high ropes course. Just so you know me, I will never get on a high ropes course, ever. Because I know that feeling. That's the feeling when you wait. And when you're waiting, whether it's on something exciting, but especially something frustrating. And so our big question for the day is, what do we do in the waiting? As Christ followers, as believers, what do we do in those seasons of waiting? And here's our big idea for today. And in our first kids' children's ministry, they don't call it the big idea, they call it the bottom line. And so kids, here's the bottom line for the day. Trust God in the seasons of waiting. Trust God. You can trust God in the seasons of waiting. He is trustworthy. Worthy. And I know it sounds super simple, but, but all of us who've had to wait on something, we know it's not. There's nothing simple about it. It takes all kinds of patience and all kinds of faith and all kinds of trust. And, and those are things that don't come so easily or so naturally for most of us. I mean, now it can be easy to trust God when things are going well, but when times are rough or they require our patience, it can be more difficult to lean on God because let's be honest, we want whatever we want and we want it when? Now, that's right. Post haste. We want it yesterday. But we want to be challenged today to trust God in the seasons of waiting. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, and this is the theme verse for this whole series, says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And so today and all month long, we're gonna be looking in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In the Bible, you know, we think of it as a book, but it's not actually a book. It's actually a a collection of books. Our Bibles are actually libraries. They're little libraries. And the library we know as the Bible has all kinds of different genres of literature within it. There's history and there's poetry and there's even prophecy or what we call apocalyptic literature. And of course, our Bibles, they're sectioned into two parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, also known as the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures. And the book of Genesis is part of the Old Testament, which is the Jewish scriptures. And the really interesting thing about the book of Genesis is it actually captures all three genres in one book. There's history, there's poetry, there's even apocalyptic language in the book of Genesis, And the part of Genesis that we're looking at in this series, it it shares the history of the family of Abraham, who was a man and a family chosen by God to be a blessing to the nations. But before this man became known as Abraham, he was known as, very simply, he was known as Abram. And Abram was married to a woman named Sarai, who was later called Sarah, and they settled with their entire family, all their relatives, their their next of kin, in this town called Haran, and it's unclear how long they lived in the town of Haran, but it's safe to say they were there for a long time, and we know they aged into old age together there. And as they grew older, they were actually unable to have a, a family line or lineage of their own because... Abraham and Sarah were unable to have kids. Nevertheless, God called Abraham at the age of 75 
and Sarah, his wife, to leave their home in Haran, to leave their extended family, and to become immigrants in a foreign land. And Abraham and Sarah, even in the old age, they, they obeyed God and they traveled to the land of Canaan where they grew even older and still they had no children together. Meanwhile, they did have a promise. And I want you to remember this, this is key. They had a promise from God to hang on to. Genesis chapter 15, verses one through six says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham said, You've given me no children and so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then God said this, and this is the promise, so shall your offspring be. As numerous as the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. And verse six says this, Abram believed the Lord. He trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Even though Abraham and Sarah were old enough already to be great, great grandparents, God promised they would one day have their own child, that they would have a son. And for years and years and years, Abraham and Sarah, they waited and they wondered, would God really send them a brand new baby at their age? That was 75, let's fast forward 24 years. Genesis 18, Abraham's now 99 years old. And he receives three strangers into his household. They were messengers of some sort. Perhaps they were a sort of angel. And these three messengers come and they speak to Abraham and Abraham. And Abraham notices them standing near his tent. It's the heat of the day and they must have looked as human as you and I because Abraham was worried about their well-being being out in the heat. And he immediately wanted to give them food and water and shade. And, and as these strange men ate, Sarah was eavesdropping on their conversation by the entrance of the tent. And what she heard them say was something that struck her quite funny. Genesis chapter 18, verses nine and 10. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah laughed. Even scoffed, perhaps cynically, the thought of having a child in her old age. She just knew she was too old too old to have a baby. And God knew her thoughts and God knew her doubts. I mean, she had waited for so long to have a baby. It would seem to any observer far too late now. And in verses 13 and 14, it says, then the Lord, and I think it means the Lord was speaking through the three messengers. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year. And Sarah will have a son. 
As promised, Sarah did get pregnant. She eventually delivered a son the exact time God had promised. Abraham and Sarah, they were beyond excited to finally, after waiting so very long, welcome their son into the family. And in fact, because Sarah had laughed at the thought of having a child after waiting so long, they named their baby Isaac, which means one who laughs. And through this one child, Isaac, and through his descendants, Abraham and Sarah's family would grow into a nation of people that we know today as the Jewish people. And from the Jewish people, and because God loves the whole world, he brought his own son into the world. That as John 3, 16 says, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, will not perish, but will have eternal life. And while Sarah may have had a hard time waiting so long to have a child and an even harder time believing it could actually happen, here's what Genesis 15, 6 says about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God in the waiting and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so how do we believe God? Because the Bible says when we believe in him, we have eternal life. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So how do we believe God and believe in God in the seasons of waiting? Because let's just be honest, we're all together in this. It's really hard to wait. And especially when we are struggling, it's really hard to wait. And especially in this fast-paced, ever-changing world where food is served fast and phones operate off high-speed 5G networks and online orders offer same-day delivery and air fryers allow us to cook our meals at hypersonic speeds and everything is fast, fast, fast. And I'm gonna confess to you, I love fast. Like I go for a run every day and I try to run faster than I did the day before. I love fast. My automotive philosophy is life is too short to not have a fun, fast car. I love fast. I don't like to wait for anything. The truth is I get so impatient with the big things and the little things. And you know, I, I love almost everything about living in Florida, almost. Except the left turn signals at stoplights. And if you have ever lived in another state, I know you feel my pain. It takes twice as long to get a left turn signal in Florida than it does anywhere else in the United States. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In fact, I have recently taken to timing the lights. When I pull up to an intersection, I need to make a left turn. I have to wait on that green arrow. I set the stopwatch on my phone. And I'm gonna figure out the slow ones and I'm gonna avoid them like the plague because I hate waiting. And so when I'm waiting on that stoplight to give me that green arrow, what I'm doing is I'm timing that thing and making future plans. What about when we're waiting on God? What do we do then? How do we trust God in the waiting? I wanna give you three things if you're taking notes. How do we trust God in the waiting? The answer is remember who God is. Reflect on what God has done and rely on God's promises. Real quickly, let's unpack each of these before we close. Number one, remember who God is. 
in the waiting, in the seasons of waiting, especially in the difficult seasons of waiting, we need to trust God. And, and how do we trust God in the seasons of waiting? The answer is we remember who he is. Now, if, if you're new to this Christianity thing, or maybe you're struggling with your faith in this season, you might wonder, how do we know? Like, how do we know who God is? How do we know anything about God? I mean, atheists say there is no God, and, and agnostics say, well, if there is a God, there's no way to know anything about him, but the Bible says differently. The Bible is clear that we can know on some level who God is, but the question becomes, how do we know? Well, we can begin to know who God is simply by observing the natural world. The natural world, his creation tells us some important things about him, the creator. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. From the natural world, we can discover that there must be a creator because everything we know and all of the creation, we can trace it. It was caused by something. You don't have something come from nothing. And so we can discern there must be a creator, but we can also discern he must be exceedingly intelligent, not only uh, in our universe, but, but the existence of life of any kind and every kind clearly needs intelligence and its creation is so diverse, it's so well designed, and so we can discern that God is not only intelligent, but he's a designer. And he must be powerful beyond comprehension to create something as massive as the universe. And so we can begin to know who God is through the natural world. But we also discover who God is through the revealed word, through the Bible. The Bible tells us so much about God that, that he's a God of justice and a God of kindness and a God of holiness and a God of love. That he's a God who created us, but also, and this is so important, he is a God who knows us, who cares for us who goes before us and behind us and with us. He's always with us. Psalm 139, such an encouragement in seasons of waiting. Psalm 139 verses one and two says, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from far away. What an incredible revelation about God. Psalm 139 verses five and six says, you hem me in before and behind, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Psalm 139, nine and 10 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 says, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm and it's so beautiful and it encourages me so much, especially in the seasons of waiting that whatever I am going through, God is right there going through it with me. That's the kind of God we trust and the Bible reveals him to us. These are just some of the things the word of God reveals to us about God. So how do we know who God is? Well, he, the natural world, we observe that. The revealed word, 
But most clearly, we know who God is through the word made flesh, through Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. John chapter one, verses one through four says, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The word is Jesus. John says Jesus is the light of all mankind. And not only is he the light to mankind, but he enlightens us as to who God is. If you say, I wanna know who God is, well, then look at Jesus. What he thinks, what he values, how he loves, how he behaves, what he says is true. Look no further than Jesus. If you wanna know who God is, look to the word made flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. So how do we trust God in the waiting? Well, first, we remember who God is. Second, we reflect upon what God has done. Reflect on what God did for Abraham and Sarah, giving them a son after they waited decades upon decades upon decades. Reflect upon what God did for David after he waited somewhere between 15 and 25 years after he was anointed king of Israel to actually become the king of Israel. And those were some hard fought years. Reflect upon what God did for the Jewish people and ultimately the world by sending Jesus after they'd waited thousands of years for a Messiah. When waiting on God, remember what he has done in history, but also remember what he has done in your life. So I think about all the ways that God has moved in my life and cared for me and prepared me and called me and preserved me and even delivered me from my own sinfulness and my own stupidity. I'm just in awe of him. When I'm struggling to trust him in the present, in the waiting, I reflect upon all the ways he has showed up for me in the past and it gives me hope for the future. Remember who God is. Reflect upon what he has done. And number three, and this is what Abraham did, rely on God's promises. Because here's the thing you can know for sure about God. God is always faithful. Always. He will always keep his promises. He kept his promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation with descendants as plentiful as the stars in heaven, and God, as he always does, kept that promise. And the thing is, God was faithful to his promise to Abraham, even when Abraham was unfaithful. And if you read the story of Abraham, you will see there were certainly times Abraham was unfaithful. But God was faithful. God was faithful to his promise to Abraham when Isaac grew up, and Isaac was unfaithful. And there were certainly times when Isaac was unfaithful but God was faithful to his promise. God was faithful to his promise to Abraham when Isaac's son Jacob grew up and Jacob was unfaithful. In fact, Jacob was a scoundrel, actually. But God was faithful. Regardless of what these men had done, both in their faithfulness and in their unfaithfulness, God remained faithful to his promise 
to make Abraham into a great nation with many descendants. The Apostle Paul said it so beautifully in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He, he said this, even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So in the seasons of waiting, how do we trust? We remember who God is. We reflect upon what God has done. And we rely upon the God who always keeps his promises. And that brings us to our takeaway for today. In your daily time with God this week, and I hope you spend time with God every single day. In your daily time with God, take that psalm that we mentioned that revealed how God goes with us in all of our seasons, even in our seasons of waiting. Take that Psalm 139, read it, reflect upon it, and rest in his care, even in the waiting. Heavenly Father, help us to trust in you in all things, at all times, even in the waiting. Thank you for revealing yourself to us that we may know you more, trust you more, and love you more. Thank you for loving us so much that you have saved us through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.